Well, thank you much, so much for being here today. Uh, thank you so much for the excellent songs. Those are excellent. I'm so excited um, for them because they really do fit in with the message. And uh, uh, Brother Andrew and I do not talk about what the message is and the songs, but he has done a great job of picking these things out, so I'm so grateful for that. Um, take your Bibles with me. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. When, uh, when we think of war... Most of the time, we think about two opposing sides coming together in a heated exchange, right? That's normally what we think of. We think of explosive artillery. We think of bombs. We think of all kinds of big, massive things. We think of front lines of a battle. We think of those who will take up the rear. We think of the right flank and the left flank. We think of a, a, a enemy and a, uh, I mean, both of them are truly enemies, right? Think of the enemies trying to outmaneuver each other and get into better positioning. And we think about all of these things. We think of, when we think of war, we think of a massive physical conflict. But wars don't always have to be massive physical conflicts, The Cold War, spanned from the late 1940s to the early 1990s, was less than a physical war. Well, There were moments of what we would call traditional warfare in which the military was deployed. But the struggle was expressed indirectly through psychological warfare, propaganda campaigns, espionage, ridiculous embargoes, rivalry at sporting events, and technological competitions such as the space race. Some of you may remember this. It happened for a long time. The Cold War represented a war that did not need to be fought by way of a massive physical conflict. It was subtle. It was sneaky. It was intermingled into our everyday life. In fact, that's why some of us, myself included, don't really know really anything about the Cold War. Okay, yes, I'm young, I understand that. But it wasn't this massive global conflict in which it was a physical war, it was intermingled into our everyday life, constantly. Spiritually, there are times of massive flesh versus spirit wars in which the flesh and the spirit are colliding head to head, and you know that there's a decision that you need to make, and you need to make it now, and if I don't make the right decision, I'm going to succumb to the flesh. But other times in our spiritual lives, there is a subtle, unobtrusive, sly, sneaky war that is going on, and we desperately fall prey to it. I want to show you this morning the subtle war. The subtle war. Let's read Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. I did not turn there myself. Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. We finished with verse 4 last week. The Bible says this, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. By the way, Philip is one of the deacons. Philip is one of those servants, one of those just lowly, just every day just serving widows. He's just one of those guys. But now what is he doing? He's boldly preaching Jesus Christ to the people in Samaria. Verse 6, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, 
hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, uh, uh, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. Watch this, verse 8. And there was great joy in the city. But, verse 9, there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. To him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll get into this. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this time that you've given us. Father, thank you for the music that you've allowed to come into our service and prepare our hearts for this moment Get our minds thinking and prepped toward you. Father, I pray that today you would be our vision. I pray today that you would be our friend that sticks closer than a brother. Father, you have done so much for us. And Father, I pray that in return, we would give our lives to you. What a great opportunity we have today. May we not squander it. May this be a good use of our time. We love you. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin this morning by asking you a question. Okay, I want you to sit and think about it just for a second. Is Satan against religion? Think about it for a second. Is Satan against religion? Is Satan against you being here today? Okay, you don't necessarily need to answer it all, I'll just think about it. A quote for you today, Adrian Rogers, a Southern Baptist preacher, said this, Satan is not opposed to religion. He is in the religion business up to his ears. The first temptation was a religious one, to be like God. It was a temptation to fall up, not down. Satan's chief weapon against the gospel is false religion. So no, Satan is not against religion. Satan is not necessarily against you being here today as a a matter of fact. In fact, he uses religion as a means to distract us from following Jesus If you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. Satan uses the perception of godliness to subvert truly walking with God. Satan uses the perception of godliness to subvert truly walking with God. You say, how do you you get this? Look at verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon which before time in the same city used what? Used sorcery. What was that doing? Bewitching the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Look at this. To whom they all gave heed. Every one of them listened to him. From the least to the greatest. Everyone in Samaria saying this man is the great power of God. 
verse 10. To whom they are, verse 11. And to him they had regard because that of a long time he hath bewitched them with sorceries. Satan was using the illusion of the power of God to distract people from pursuing God. You see, nowhere in this passage does it say that the people were worshiping Satan, does it? Nowhere in this passage does it go, yes, Satan is king. It doesn't say that. It says everybody believed that this man had the great power of God. And Satan was perfectly okay with that, by the way. Because he was distracting everyone in Samaria. In fact, so many, he was distracting so many that there were people who were worshiping Satan. There were people possessed with demons. You see, Satan was doing exactly what he wanted. The word here says bewitched. Bewitched from Strong's Dictionary means this, astounded, amazed, astonished, even beside themselves. They were amazed, they were astonished at Simon. They were beside themselves thinking, how in the world could this possibly be? How could he do these great signs and these great wonders? He must be the power of God. By the way, you know what the Bible says is the power of God, right? It's the gospel. Preaching of gospel is the power of God, but he has changed it. And in this context, bewitched is negative. They are not amazed in a positive way. They are amazed in a negative way. They were bewitched. Verse 9 says that he was giving out. Verse 9, again, we read this. Um, he used sorcery. And bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. He was doing some amazing things, let's be honest. And he was telling everyone that he was the great one. And every one of them believed it again, from the least to the greatest. Every single person in Samaria knew about Simon and thought that he was full of the power of God. One author put it this way. Simon was no mere con artist or cheap charlatan, but someone far more sinister, endowed with the power of Satan and disguising himself as the great power of God. See, Satan is in the business of deception. Satan is in the business of disguising himself. The Bible says that he is the angel of light. He looks very beautiful at times. There have been many people who have said something to this effect. Well, an angel told me, and I can no doubt just think Satan sitting in laughter thinking, yeah, that was me. You see, Satan is in the deceiving game. Satan will go to extreme lengths to dissuade people from following after God, even giving them the illusion that they are. He is a deceiver. But the true power of God is far more powerful than any fake, pretentious power of Satan. Notice verse 12. The Bible says this, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, what? They were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also and was baptized. He continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. God's power is greater. You can see earlier in the verses that we read that he was casting out demons and he was healing people and he was doing positive things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an amazing story of conflict. 
What an amazing story of deliverance, seeing such a man as Simon come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now truly, this would be an incredible story if it stopped there. If we read the words, the end, at this moment. But this story continues. And truthfully, it has some pretty alarming results. Look at verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the Holy Ghost had not come upon them yet as it did earlier in Acts upon the apostles. Verse 17. Then laid their hand, then then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Watch this, verse 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, watch this, the Holy Ghost was given, what did he do? He offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Whoa, what? What? kind of like, whoa, hang on a second, that's not how it works, right? There's much debate as to whether Simon in this story actually ever got saved or not. In fact, it has become such a debate that I believe that it's pulled away from the idea that the Bible is trying to get across. I have no idea. The Bible says in verse 12, excuse me, verse 13, then Simon himself believed also. That's all I know. I don't know, I can, I can surmise, I can guess, we can go through all kinds of different things, but we cannot say with a, a surety whether he was saved or not. I don't want to spend my time talking about that this morning. I want to focus on the reality of what happens to us in our lives far too often. Whether saved or unsaved, Simon continues to approach life in the exact same manner as he had always done. He continues to approach life in the exact same way. Now he just has new knowledge. He just has a new perspective, a new way of looking at things. And so what does he do? He's always, he's used to having power. He's used to uh, uh, deceiving the people. He's used to doing all those things and he sees someone else having power. He sees somebody else doing some amazing things and he wants to follow that person and watch that person. And then all of a sudden these apostles come down and lay their hands on people and they are receiving the Holy Ghost and God is working in an amazing way. And what does he do? He says, here's some money. Give me what you got. He's been doing that for a long time. He's been doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. He's been paying, getting money, selling his soul, so to speak, in order to receive power, and he does the same thing again. He's now seen and heard a power stronger and more effective than the power he had. However, he's still in the same mindset. He wanted power, and it appears that he wanted power to use for his own benefit. Read again with me verse 19 saying give me this also this power that whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost can you just imagine a snake oil salesman here come come he's driving around the wagon all across the countryside come if I lay my hands on you just three dollars just three dollars 
Just $3 and I'll lay my hands on you and you'll receive the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine it? This is what he wanted. He desperately wanted to have this power. So truthfully, whether he had accepted Christ or not, he had not changed. He had not changed. I'm afraid to say that too many people in churches today continue to approach life in the same way that they always have. They're just armed with some new knowledge of God and religion. We continue to do the same thing day in and day out. We get up. We get dressed. We eat breakfast. We go to work. We listen to a podcast or, or some music on our way to work. We go to work. We, we work. We, we have lunch. We sit down. We talk with the guys or the girls at work. We come home. We have dinner. Work out. Watch TV. Go to bed and do it all over again. And we do it for the exact same reason that we did it before we got saved. Or maybe you got saved when you were young and you, you're working your way through. And listen, you, we're no different than the culture. We're no different than the world. We just go to work. We just do the same things over and over and over again. We want to get ahead in life. We want to climb the corporate ladder. We want to th- get that dream job. We want that dream house or new car or an easier life or fill in the blanks of why we want it. And then what do we do? We show up on Sundays. Thank you for being here. I'm not trying to... Get on you for being here on Sunday. That's a good thing. But we show up on Sundays and we ask God, God, give me a good week. Give me a good week. We put in our offering into the box and then we go our way. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Just putting our time in. Well, we know about God. We know it's right to go to church. We know it's good to give an offering. But we just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And Paul says this to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You see, here's the reality in life is many of us that sit in this room, we have a form of godliness. In fact, when you go to work, maybe somebody will say, hey, what'd you do on the weekend? And you'll slide in church just so they think that you're a godly person. Maybe you're here today just so everybody else in the building will think you're a godly person. Of a form of godliness. We're denying the power thereof. Listen, we have religion, but we don't have the power. We keep going through the motions, but we don't have the power. We keep trying to purchase power by doing, quote, the right things, but we don't have the power. In fact, in a very dire situation, many of us will say, God, I'm doing the right things. I'm going to church. I've given my tithe for 10 years. I'm doing this, that, and the other thing. Why are you doing this to me right now? Because we think that by doing those things, that's going to buy us the power. Satan had done a good job of keeping Simon weak and distracted. Okay, whether he got saved or not, 
after his, quote, conversion, we see him staying weak and distracted. Oh, he was following Philip, the great Philip, doing wonders and miracles and awesome things and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He followed him. Satan kept Simon weak and distracted, making him think that he could hold on to his former power and just tap into this new power. Here's what Satan wants out of your life. If you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. Satan wants unfocused, unresolved, weak Christians. First of all, he doesn't want you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior ever. Second of all, after you make that decision, he wants you unfocused, unresolved, and weak. He wants us to think that going to church, reading our Bibles, praying, and giving are going to make us victorious. Listen, don't get me wrong, those are not bad things. But he will use these things to distract us. Satan is using religion to deter us from truly walking with God. You may be asking yourself already, well, how can I know the difference? How can I understand what the difference is in my life? I want you to ask yourself some questions. Ask yourself this question, why am I doing this? Why do I go to work every day? Why do I play the sports I play? Why do I go to the gym? Why did I join that club? Why do I do what I do? Ask yourself that question. And be honest with yourself. Maybe for you it sounds something like this. Well, I go to work to make money. Duh. Doesn't everybody? I play sports because I enjoy it and I need the exercise. I go to the gym because I enjoy it and I need exercise. I join this club because they do the things that I'm interested in doing and I enjoy being around those people. I do the things I do because I like them. Maybe that's you. That's how you would answer those questions. Now I want you to understand, don't miss this. None of those answers are wicked and vile, are they? I, do, I go to the gym because I like it and I need to exercise. Bible even says bodily exercise profiteth little. It's biblical, Pastor Yeomans. I joined that club because I enjoy doing the things that I enjoy doing. Listen, I'm not against the little R&R here and there, but I want you to just think about this. None of these things are wicked and evil, but all of those things are temporal. And they fulfill only my current desires. And what happens is we are just doing the same exact thing that our culture does. We're doing the exact same thing and for the same reasons. Guess what? We are not changed. We're not changed. We're not different than we used to be. We're not different than our culture. And listen, I can stand here and tell you, you know how to be different from the culture? Wear a suit every day. It doesn't make you different than the culture. It just makes you look different than the culture. Say, what's the point? 
What if our motives were a little different? I go to work so that I can be a witness to my coworkers. And I can make a little bit of money to further the kingdom of God. I play sports and it's good exercise, but I, I play sports to be a good testimony and a witness to the other guys or the other girls on my team. I go to the gym so I can get around other people and let them know about Jesus Christ. I join this club so that people I'm around might get the opportunity to hear the gospel. I do the things that I do to further the kingdom of God. Do you see the difference? It's just a slight shift but has massive implications. Simon was more focused on his personal gain than the gain of helping people into the kingdom of God. Notice what he says again in verse 19, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. He didn't say, so that I can let other people know about Jesus Christ, or I can help other people. That's not what he says. He uses his words very carefully. He says, I want the power to give people the Holy Ghost. I'm afraid that far too many of us are in this same predicament. We care far too much about our own personal gain than helping people into the kingdom of God. Yes, Christians right here at Bible Baptist Church in 2023. We're no different than Simon. Just doing the same things over and over over again. We're not changed. By the way, this is not an action problem. You're, uh, I am assuming by now you're like, all right, what do I do? Uh-uh. Not an action problem. This is a heart problem. This is a heart problem. Look at how spirit-filled Peter responds to this request. He says in verse 20, Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Simon had a heart problem. This is not about doing more for Christ. This is not about doing something different. This is about a heart problem. His heart was set on the wrong things. His heart was set on the wrong things. And we here at Bible Baptist, we are no better. We too have a heart set on the wrong things. Again, this seems trite and this seems trivial. Like, what's the big deal, Pastor Yeoman? So what? I enjoy going to the gym just for me. I go to work just to make money. I just put my head down and I, I get in there and do that. Listen, what's the big deal? So seems so trivial. I want you to notice Acts 8 and verse 23 again. 
Peter, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says this, I perceive, I can see, I can understand, I can see that, you, that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. All right, who knows what that means? A bunch of theologians out here? Again, as I'm reading this, I'm going, okay, that makes no sense at all. Thanks, Peter, for your wise words of wisdom here. But truthfully, it was wise. You see, Peter's quoting Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 18. I'll show it to you on the screen. The Bible says this, lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God. Watch this. Heart turning away from the Lord to go and serve the gods of these nations. Watch this. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. Gall and wormwood. Peter is referencing a heart that is turned away from God to serve another God. And this, in turn, produces a root that produces gall and wormwood. Wormwood is a plant, a plant that attacks, get this, the central nervous system. If you ingest wormwood, it is a plant that that attacks the central nervous system. It causes seizures and has other dangerous effects. Wormwood in the Bible is often correlated with bitterness. In the Bible. This bitterness, though, is not a feeling of pain or distress toward a person. Yeah, I'm bitter against that guy. He cut me off in traffic and he said mean things. That's not the bitterness that it's talking about. Bitterness here is a lingering root that poisons us. A lingering root that poisons us. This root of bitterness is a heart problem. This heart problem, this little still wanting what I want. This setting our affection on things below instead of things above. Guess what? It is a slow, poisonous secretion that will slowly attack the core of our very being. Guess what? It's subtle. It's sneaky. It's sly. It's deceptive. And not only is it that, it keeps us in bonds to iniquity. Notice verse 23 again. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. It ties us up. It shackles us. It keeps us there. We are bound to it. It affects our core. It affects our thoughts. It affects our motives. It affects our actions. And Satan is using this small root of bitterness, this small gall and and wormwood. He's using this to annihilate us. Say, Pastor Yomans, is it really that big of a deal? Really is that big of a deal because all that he has done is kept us weak unfocused and unresolved satan is truly winning the war 
people. Not using egregious, disgusting, horrible sin. No, but a good, proper, religious piety. He's using it. This root digs deep into our being and holds fast. It secretes a poison that is causing us to drop like flies. And I promise you, eventually, eventually it will cause us to get into egregious, disgusting sin. But all of us sit here today, I hope, I'm not in egregious sin. I'm not in, in open defilement to God, yet our heart yearns for us to look better. Our heart yearns for us to take the next step in the corporate ladder. We truly are dropping like flies. But I don't want to leave you there today. You see, the Bible talks about another root. Well, there's the root of bitterness, but there's also another root. I want to show you Isaiah eleven ten, And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. This is talking about the root of Jesus Christ. The root of Jesus Christ, that when he is buried deep, he does not produce bitterness. He produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And when these fruits are born, they shine forth. And what do they do? They don't point people to us. They point people to Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 says this. Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works. And what does it do? Glorifies your Father, which is in heaven. Well, it's not your light. It's the light that's shining through you. It's Jesus Christ, that root that takes, takes root deep down and begins to grow outside of you. And you begin to beam as a light shining forth. And you begin to glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, this is a heart problem. I can stand here and preach to you all day about what you look like. And what you act like. But this is a heart problem. Does your purpose in life make you look better? Or does it make Jesus known? Does your purpose in life make you look better? Or does it make Jesus known? Are you seeking your own benefit? Or the benefit of the kingdom of God? Are you stuck in your old ways? Or do you have a new perspective? Don't let anything, don't let anything in this life distract you, poison you from allowing the root of Jesus Christ to produce something amazing in you. People at Bible Baptist Church today, July 9th, 2023, you were made for more than being deceived by religion. I am so glad you're here today. But if all we do is come here, sit, and take in, and go out, and we are never changed. That root of bitterness, that root of poison, 
is just going to secrete a little bit more. We're going to be holding to it. It's going to captivate us. I want to finish this story quickly. Verse 24. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Still not changed. Hey, Peter, pray so that none of that stuff happens to me. He doesn't, he doesn't want that gall of bitterness or that bond of iniquity. Again, what we think should happen, and I as a preacher, and I would assume Peter, and he even says it, repent and pray. Get your heart right. What Simon should have done, in my opinion, was from a heartfelt repentance, fall, fell down on his knees and said, woe is me, for I am undone. Oh, you got me. I do want to do this on my own. I do want to have the power, but it's time that I change. He doesn't. If church history is correct, he he eventually creates some kind of cult. Simon. Listen. Today you have an opportunity to be confronted with the word of God. We can walk out of these doors the exact same way that we came in. Oh, maybe armed with a little bit of new knowledge. But can I encourage you? Repent. Don't let our pride stand in the way. Let's start living our lives for the kingdom of God. That is our purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, thank you for your word. These little stories nestled in here have a massive purpose. Father, I pray that you would do something here today. Oh, not because I preached a message, but Father, because your word, Holy Spirit, does the stirring. Father, I pray that you would work in lives today. If there's one person here today that doesn't know you as personal Savior, I pray that their relationship with you would start today. Father, we'll give you the praise and glory for it and pray all these things in your name.